Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Reese Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can improve the show and what you're interested in learning about next. Please take a moment to share your thoughts on the New World of Work listener survey, linked in the show notes below. Looking forward to hearing from you. From mass layoffs to sky-high inflation, we've all seen the devastating effects of economic turbulence. Whether you've been impacted by a round of layoffs yourself or you know someone who has, there's no doubt it's a challenging time for millions of people worldwide. During times of economic uncertainty, just keeping the organization afloat can be a tall order for many leaders. As a result, companies often put crucial initiatives like DEI efforts on the back burner, despite their best laid plans. In this episode, we'll be discussing how to prevent this from happening and instead continue prioritizing DEI initiatives throughout times of economic turbulence. I'll be sitting down with Manjuri Sinha, Global Director of Talent Acquisition, Employer Branding and Onboarding at OLX Group. She's here to share some of her expert tips and strategies for staying committed to DEI during a recession. I hope you'll walk away from this episode with some tangible action steps you can put into place in your own role. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, Reese. Um, yeah, I'm Manjuri Sinha. Um, career experience has been superbly interesting, uh, about 19 plus years across different roles in HR. Uh, from post MBA, I started with corporate HR with a manufacturing company and then realized pretty soon that that's not the deal for me and jumped into tech and have been with tech all along since then. Um, it, across different roles of HR business partnering, leading HR business partnering teams, and then uh, a long career in talent acquisition, starting with Zalando. When I moved to Europe in 2014, uh, before that, I was working with Accenture, Hewlett Packard, and, and other companies. Uh, moved to Europe in 2014 and had a lovely experience with Zalando and scaling up their te- technology teams at that point of time. Uh, worked there for five years. Learned a lot, uh, you know, really got my hands dirty. Since 2019, I've been working with OLX, enjoying myself in my current gamut. I take care of everything, talent acquisition, uh, employer branding and onboarding for the whole organization. Uh, have a fabulous team to uh, to work with and superbly proud of them. Um, and I guess, as you mentioned on, on OLX there, uh, maybe you can give uh, a little bit of background into OLX Group and, and what you do as a company and uh, the overall mission of the business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, super exciting, actually. So we, we we believe that we work together as an organization uh, towards sustainability through trade. Uh, we work in different markets, 30 different markets, actually 30 plus markets around the world, banning across from Europe to Latin America, India. Indonesia and uh, US. A pretty big footprint, actually. We've been there for a long time in different companies. Of course, may, most of our folks, maybe listeners, would uh, actually know the organization from the customer consumer brands like Auto Plus in Turkey or OLX Autos in India, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, so that's that's pretty much our uh, bread and butter for the organization as such. If you were to kind of distill it down into an elevator pitch, uh, what is your overarching mission that you want to achieve with your career? So my my career aspirations all through are first first and foremost uh, was to have a global footprint, and which is pretty much uh, something that I acquired in the in the last probably four to five years. Prior to that, yes, I was working um, in a global capacity also with Accenture, but actually, you know, leading teams out of different countries. Uh, that's something that I really, really um, enjoy doing. So that's one. The second bit is I work in a field which is not very uh, formulated or structured. So talent acquisition is, is although yes, you know, you've been, people have been looking for jobs uh, through newspapers and people have been found through uh, paper resumes uh, in the past, etc. Uh, et but it is, it is still a field which is nascent. There can be a lot that can be done and evolved. So that's one of the aspirations that I have that, you know, to really tie this uh, entire flywheel, the talent flywheel that starts from not just attraction, but just the idea of the fact that, okay, I want to walk into another organization, look for something else. What's my career path? Starting from there, how do we tie it into talent development? You really make this um, field all encompassing and not the perception that, hey, you're just there to bring people in and that's full stop. So that's one of the aspirations that I have for contributing to the to the field itself personally and make that mark. So this idea that you just shared that talent acquisition doesn't just end when when the person uh, you know has their their day one and that it, it, it progresses further, it's more holistic, it, it gets into talent development. Can can you can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. I was I, I just probably five minutes ago. Moved away from publishing one of uh, one of the talent voice articles for uh, LinkedIn, and that's where I also talk about this aspect. You you bring in people, yes, but then you also look at you know everything to do with the organizations today. Maybe if, even if you start with an activity which is usually known to be owned by finance teams, which is workforce planning, right? In this aspect, very rarely would you see that the TA organization or the TA leader has a seat at the table from the beginning. You usually get a list of vacancies at the end of the process, and then you're chasing those. Even if those vacancies are very hard to find uh, in the process, uh, you do kind of rise up the cost of hiring or the cost of staff, compromise diversity, etc., and you're chasing those. If talent acquisition is brought forward and you have a seat at the table, you could actually drive in insights of what location strategies can we have when we look at diversity, when we look at that particular skill or capability gap, what kind of seniority you know, spread you can you have? You know, in many countries, for example, in certain countries, you have more of a younger population. In certain countries, you have more of a senior population. What kind of a mix would you suggest for the organization? What is your usual pattern of time to hire for that skill gap? Can you drive that in? You can actually uh, help finance, uh, plan those budgets better. So you have a cost impact also on the organization. So that's one side of it. The second side of it is, yes, we bring in people. But the first, you know, it's it's not just, okay, you bring in people and then you let them be. It's also about onboarding because that has impact on uh, the new higher failure rate. So we talk about employee life cycle, lifetime value, which is ELTV. Very few organizations actually calculate that ELTV. Um, what, is, what is the time taken for somebody to actually get productive in their role? And uh, this depends a lot, yes, on the quality of hire, but also depends on the quality of onboarding and the, you know, effort that the team takes in really integrating that person with their teams, enabling that person having proper documentation, whether it's engineer in, an engineering team, et cetera. 
So it really matters. And again, that's the ROI on your hiring process, right? So if you can tie that in, it really, really matters. The last but not the least aspect is also around um, career development. In one of the recent articles from McKinsey, the topmost reason for people leaving organizations is not compensation or salary. It is actually lack of opportunities, career opportunities within the organization. And this is again somewhere I see the talent acquisition can play a big role because you know what you're hiring for. You know, what are the skill gaps? Why don't, uh, why doesn't the team look within and create a marketplace to look for folks within us and, and upskill as well? So that's where you work closely with the talent development teams to plan those marketplaces, secondments, et cetera. So if you, if you look at that and you open your eyes and keep your heart a little bit open, then you see that it is very well interconnected with a lot of other HR areas. It'd be good to understand a little bit about exactly the, the the pieces of work that you're most excited about right now, the things that you're that you're focused on solving in your work. So yeah, what what are some of the main challenges that are um, yeah taking up your attention that you're focused on right now? To begin with, I think a, a shift of mindset. That's uh, that's for me, for my team. I think it's pretty much for any TA leader out there working with the tech industry. We have been used to working in scale ups. We've been used to. Uh, delivering for hypergrowths, our TA architecture, our models of the organization are a twin, a kind of, you know, um, they're set up to deliver hypergrowth. So that's the first challenge uh, that I, I would like to look at the next year or this year to set up my team and team architecture in a way that it is actually set up for st stable growth and not for hypergrowth. So that's one. The second would be around relooking at our uh, EVP or the employer branding strategy completely because again this is something which is pretty much set up on let's keep the um, wheel of hiring completely oiled and let's bring as many into that gamut as possible from external markets. Here it would be looking within so through internal mobility it would be looking also to reinstill trust with uh, employees after we've seen such uh, big headcount reductions across the industry. So uh, EVP that is more attuned to trust and and stability and faith. I think that's uh, that's something that we will work on more. Um, also to look at certain uh, certain uh, personas in the organization. So this is probably something that we've done a little less of. Um, for example, we've seen that during the pandemic period, we had retail employees being impacted all around in the industry more, gastronomy, et cetera, than the tech employees. The tables have turned right now. So we, we also need to look at what are the personas, what are the um, candidates in those personas looking for and how can we cater to them better. Last but not the least would be still focusing on DEI uh, because this is, this is still an uphill, uphill battle and uphill task in many areas where we want to increase the uh, representation of women. We want to reach out to other underrepresented communities and bring more and more people on board plus nurture them within the organization. So these would be some of the key focuses uh, for, for this year or the coming year. So maybe if you could just give us a little bit of background on your thinking, like what's your philosophy when it, when it comes to DEI? Why do you actually think it's important for us to care about this uh, in the first place? The textbook reason talks about all the researches, all the articles and different findings. Even McKinsey had come up with data that if you have uh, better representation in the organization from different uh, uh, underrepresented groups, then you tend to make more profits, then you're a more successful business as an organization, et cetera, et cetera. In 2023, I think this, this argument should already have passed and we, sh 
wouldn't actually need to give this argument in any memo, article, or presentation. Unfortunately, we do have to give that argument a number of times, and that's the unfortunate bit. What is the principle? I think the principle of DEI should be with an organization, it should be driven from the top. It shouldn't be the problem of just one department in most organizations, just the problem of the HR department and no one else seems to uh, bother about it. It should literally be driven into each process across the employee's life cycle. So we talk about it when you talk about rewards and benefits, when you talk about hiring, when you talk about talent development, DEI should be driven into the principles of these uh, different processes and different areas. It should also be customer facing. We have some excellent examples in the in the market by uh, previous employer uh, Zalando. If you see their website, you'll see some excellent examples of how representative the models are. When you look at their clothing, etc., they did a wonderful drive recently with uh, PWD people with disabilities as well. And when you look at those initiatives, it goes beyond employees. It's actually ensuring that your products and product features are also inclusive. So this would be, you know, a couple of two or three things around the DEI tenant. So you were saying before that we're in 2023 and we're we're still largely having these discussions and and, and having to um, advocate for these things. Simple question: why, why do you think we're still having these conversations even now? Number one, I think people have either not seen the results um, upfront or. Number number two would be around people have not figured out uh, how to how to also uh, kind of you know remove a little bit of noise and go for things which are uh, probably low hanging fruits. Now, if I if I take an example, the moment if I if I as a TA leader go and ask for a humongous budget for say an augmented writing tool, right? One of the ways of uh, uh, making your job descriptions inclusive is parsing them through an augmented writing tool. A couple of the, those products are very, very expensive in the market. It is interesting to see sometimes that the quotes are more than the ATS that we use. So if that happens, it is it is quite obvious that if I take that to my finance teams, I'm going to get, you know, no, no permission to buy that. It's a huge product. What can I do myself? When we look at some things and low-hanging fruits, for example, we do have recruiters who are quite experienced. We have EB professionals who are quite experienced. We can start, number one, parsing those job descriptions ourselves. There are freeware uh, tools available. There are low-cost tools also available. What can we do ourselves and then upfront show the result? For example, when we can compare this freeware, we can actually show, show the result on the reach. A simple result on showing how many words are masculine-leaning, how many words are feminine-leaning, how many words are neutral. When you show that impact, that's when you get the buy-in. And a lot of folks uh, out there are not able to show that impact up front. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, people don't. Uh, the intent um, is always good. I'm a very, 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 a very, you know, I've not come across bad intent on this in the organizations that I've worked with. And I'm super lucky for that as well. Everybody wants to help. I think that how is is very tricky. Um, it's also, again, like, like as I mentioned, like TA, DEI is also a field where you have a lot of noise, but no structured content. Uh, there's a book by a, um, a very good friend of mine called Sarah Cordivano. She's working with the DEI team in, in Zalando. I've worked very closely with her previously. Uh, I've also invited her to some of our talks in OLX. She has recently published a book, uh, very, very useful. It talks about very simple ways of how can you form ERGs, how can you ask for budget for your ERGs, what could be some systematic ways of bringing DEI into 
different processes in HR, different processes within the organization. Very simple, very actionable and lowest cost possible examples as well. So those are things that we need to kind of grab onto and uh, show, showcase them before we go for that big ticket budget item that I would ask the finance team for. Other excellent examples as well. Um, this was probably at the beginning of the pandemic. So yeah, it impacted lives and um, you know, there's no two ways about it. However, there was slightly an interesting silver lining that happened at that point of time. Like most organizations, we had to lean on everything remote. We had to lean on everything via video interviewing, etc. Prior to that, we had started experimenting as an organization on making our engineering teams uh, remote first. This was prior to the pandemic. Uh, not, um, not heard of before the pandemic in many organizations, but we, we tried to do that. And one of the clear data and benefits that we saw after six months of this activity we, what we did is, first of all, looked at the insights. So we could we could pull LinkedIn insights and see which, if we are only, say, hiring in Warsaw or Poznan, uh, where we are based out of, or probably only hiring in Lisbon, what is the talent pool that we reach out to where the talent pool are, you know, is kind of identifies themselves as women. So we could bring that from tal uh, LinkedIn insights. Um, and the moment we open, uh, open it up to Portugal, what does our reach to more women in engineering? rather than Lisbon, go to the whole country, right? Of course, we couldn't go remote anywhere because of legal reasons. Your contract has to be attached to a base, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. So despite of doing that, we had these um, experiment countries and there we could really, really reach unprecedented uh, percentages of women that we could hire in engineering, an area where you really have to either um, have long time to hire or the cost of hiring goes up because you have to have specialized agencies who can source for you, et cetera. But this was, this was something that the team did themselves. Also, you know, of course, they took uh, help from data and saw which cities are giving more of a base and then uh, sourced from there. But you could bring out data and that data was clearly visible that if we come back to a full, full setup of on-site uh, and not go hybrid, we're going to actually compromise on the talent base that we can touch. And this was superbly, superbly interesting. And this is another way of piloting, experimenting, and then making a case for something. You mentioned the fact that we are seeing a lot of layoffs in the world right now, um, particularly in the tech industry. And of course, that's having uh, major impacts on not just the, the individuals directly affected, but their, their families, their, their friends, their communities around them. So with that said, I would really like to talk about um, DEIB initiatives and how they are potentially being influenced or affected or frankly, maybe in some cases even being deprioritized um, because of, you know, recessionary environments that we're experiencing. So for the for the people ops person that's listening to the podcast right now, what would you say to them to ensure that these things stay, you know, top of priority for their company, top of mind uh, in the executives that they work with while they might be going through a tough time? There is evidence, at least slightly there, that the layoffs have impacted women more than men or maybe other communities, other underrepresented groups as well. The first step as a people ops person to do would be to create that awareness within the organization. And not just within the organization, of course, you know, there could be sensitive data for within, but you can definitely create that awareness by bringing in data points from external market. So if we see today the uh, layoff tracker says 84,000 plus employees were impacted in Jan itself, right? And you can just extrapolate the data and say, what could be a percentage that women were impacted, men were impacted? 
Just think about this. Now, if you look at your representation or workforce representation, what is the usual workforce representation? Is 25%, 30%, maybe in case of women, right? Compare that, create that awareness amongst the key leaders in the organization that we have been impacted, our industry has been impacted. So whatever we were doing for inclusivity, for diversity, we need to step up our game. That's one. Yes, everybody would be looking at cost as a factor. So the next step could be to go into the basics or the hygiene factors, which are not super cost related. Could be something that there's a, there's a good opportunity that companies are now moving from hyper growth to stable growth. So you have lesser roles to hire, so you can have more conscious uh, sourcing activities. There is a pause on hiring in most of the buckets. So there's a, there's a time that you need. Why, why not concentrate and give this time to um, measuring the skill gap? What are the capabilities that you will need? Looking at the roles that might open up in the next six, seven months and looking within. If you used to wait for six months to hire from outside, today you can actually upskill somebody from inside, right? So you can give that opportunity either to someone who's, who's already within the organization. That could be one way of looking at it. And also looking at the fact that the remaining diverse population in your organization are taken care of. They have enough mentorship. They have coaching. They have the hygiene factors of feedback loops, et cetera, which are being covered with them during appraisals, et cetera. In the different processes in the organization, there are a lot of things which don't need cost. In, if you have to make your interview panels diverse, it is not driven by cost. You need to ensure that you train diverse interviewers within the group. If you look at your uh, how you hire, base it on competencies rather than looking at random uh, random uh, you know aspects that hiring managers are looking at. So give a method to the madness. Again, not related to cost. This is something your TA team can set up and run. Uh, train interviewers. This is again a very good time because your company is not interviewing a lot. Train interviewers, run them through bias, unconscious bias training, run them through some role plays of how to run a feedback loop where you don't bring in bias, et cetera, et cetera. Within the organization, pull up simple data of how many of your, you know, for example, if you measure certain things, for example, if you measure your women representation, pull up data on seeing how many of them have their development plans or they are not even in place, right? So are these development plans there? Ensure that you can create awareness on internal mobility. So there are activities still to be done uh, without that cost. Thinking about the person that's listening to this again, and they're, they're, they're going to their executive teams to make sure these things are considered. How do they frame this in this bigger picture of, okay, I understand we need to be thinking about the, the, the immediate term uh, threats or risks to the business, and, and we need to recalibrate. But how do we also keep one eye on the future, whether it be about DEIB or otherwise? This is where I, I believe a lot of uh, good leaders will stand out uh, during this phase as well. Role of a leader to ensure that you can move your team's focus from looking at, you know, looking back to looking forward, like what you just said. A couple of things that, that com companies can do within, and this has to be driven probably by their comms team, but also, also by the leadership of the organization, the executive leadership, et cetera, that has to take a, take a stance on this. Uh, number one, when, when such activities happen, I think the first thing that leaders owe to their teams is clarity. Clarity would be in, in just simple, to, simple ways, probably sitting down with your team, having a, even if it, you're not in the, in the same office or something, you're working in distributed setups, have a Zoom call, just have the space, a safe space for 30, 45 minutes to talk. 
immediately after a certain impact that happens in the organization. There could be a lot of feelings, uh, feelings of anger, feelings uh, of anxiety, feelings of, will it be me now? What happens, et cetera, et cetera. Why did you do this to my colleague, et cetera, et cetera. Why did this happen, et cetera, even if they don't consider it as a personal impact. So talking through those would be the first point. Number two is clarity around what is the context? What is the context of the organization? What is the context of macroeconomics? Why is such an impact happened? What is going on in the inner around us? We need to acknowledge, some of us forget this, if you are a millennial or probably very recently started in this, uh, started in your career or, you know, right after MBA or something like that, there's a huge population that has never been through such a crisis. Uh, there's a population that has not seen the last crisis of, you know, 2001 or 2008, 2009 as well. So we're dealing with a population that doesn't, hasn't seen that. We've always seen a hyper growth, abundance of resources kind of an environment. Also, the location context matters. For example, I come from a country, India, we are used to inflation, crazy inflations every year. I would never expect my company to give me a hike that is... Uh, resonating the country's inflation because let's face it that that was the inflation always but for europe it's the first time today when we talk to you know folks around us it's the first time a country like germany is facing inflation in so many years so a lot of these macroeconomics are new so yes we have to probably be a chief repetition officer and keep on repeating the context so that's clarity the second is around care care is asking people okay what do you need what will help you right now etc and not just choke choke it down there, throw that in order, you need to move into the future. So that's the care part. And the last bit is where you slowly, slowly put your vision and focus to the future. Um, it, it is a little bit naive today to put that future as one year, because all of us know that things are very, very volatile, things are changing as we know, etc. Uh, and I like to refer to this as one of, one of the great speakers that I've listened to in Unleashed last year uh, in October, was Peter Henson, and he talks about this phenomena of never normal. So you're you kind of into different kinds of uh, seismic shocks, whether it be the pandemic, the the war, now the macroeconomic conditions. So if we say that it'll be steady for one whole year, I think you're being naive. So yes, plan ahead, but maybe look at piecemeal of six months or something. Sit down, plan that with your team. What should be your priorities? Retrospective. What did we do wrong? What can we do better? Let's have a bottom-up approach to the goals and vision for the next six months and see how it goes. Drive in a little bit of agility, both for the people as well as for, um, for uh, you know, for the organization when you take your own goals. And yes, because of probably lack of resources, you will have to say no and not just do more with less. I think that saying no as a leader is something that you'll have to take up. So these couple of things... Putting this into activity and putting this this into action for the first four or five weeks after headcount reduction is very important for the organization to not lose the momentum because you really want to do something and actually move towards the profitability fast enough. There's no doubt that times of economic turbulence can be challenging, demanding, and even emotionally taxing. But these periods of transition can also serve as a tremendous opportunity for leaders to step up and support the company's most valuable asset, its people. Manjuri reminds us that during tough times like mass layoffs, organizations can stay strong by continuing a healthy and transparent dialogue. 
As PeopleOps leaders, it's important we facilitate open and honest communication by holding space for our colleagues when they need it the most. When in doubt, remember the three C's, communication, clarity, and context to help your team get through tough times. Next, Manjuri and I get a little more tactical in our discussion. Could you share a little bit about any of the, the new strategies or resources or initiatives that you might um, have been putting in place with your team recently to, to ensure that this work that you've, you've put a lot of work into uh, around DEI is staying strong, is robust, uh, and is not going to be fall, falling by the wayside uh, in these tough times? So end of last year, around October, November, the one thing that we realized we had not focused much on was internal talent. So that was one aspect that we really focused on on gearing up our internal marketplace, launching our internal marketplace. Uh, we also conducted some surveys within the organization to see what is the hindrance uh, for people to apply to jobs internally. And it it was an interesting take when we heard that uh, folks are talking about the fact that they are, uh, they feel a little bit of inhibition applying to jobs. They feel how will their manager feel if they apply to a job internally? It's just easier to go out and apply. So we realize it's one is one aspect is the tooling. Yes, we put that in place. But the bigger aspect is uh, the culture helping managers also help their teams to talk into applying for jobs internally and not thinking about losing talent, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this was really, really welcomed very well in the organization. We saw an uptake of 42% in the internal applications overall and uptake of about 80 plus percent in the hiring rate uh, from internal uh, application. So that was that was really, really well, well, well received and well accepted. The second that we didn't more focus from is uh, around. So I, I usually like to call it as as a couple of pillars in the of, um, in, a, in the whole DEI activity, especially connected to hiring. When you talk about one is aware, which is creating aware and attract, which is, you know, anything to do with your job descriptions, your career site, your communication language with candidates, etc. That's where we actually partnered up with a with a not so expensive tool, like we were talking about earlier. We partnered up with an augmented writing tool, Data People, to ensure that all our job descriptions are parsed and do not have any uh, tone which is more masculine or, you know, any kind of bias which runs through it. Over and above that, of course, that's also something that we did for a career website to ensure that the representation on a career website are actually employees and not, you know, models. So that, that content is kind of very uh, diverse again. A couple of other things I think around hiring is connecting our hiring process. So we still continue to do that with competencies to ensure that each step of the way is actually hired, goes through competency assessment process for everything product data and technology, which reduces your bias through the decision-making process as well. I actually quickly want to just bring it back onto one of the points you made at the very beginning when we were you were talking about working with your finance team and about workforce planning. Um, this idea that if you can get in there early with your finance team and, and maybe help them not operate in so much isolation or, or in a silo when it comes to that, then you can ultimately have better outcomes. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experiences with that. What, what, what have you found that works well um, for talent leaders, people leaders to be able to uh, work better and, and, and be there earlier with their finance teams to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Recent and quite a bit of a cost impact, actually, to cut long story short. In, in a hyper growth world and, and companies, when you have a lot of funding, people don't really bother about it. But in a bootstrapped world, you do bother about the, the bottom line and the cost that comes through it. 
One is how finance teams can plan, right? So they're planning their headcount, what kind, how many bumps will be on seat in a, in a particular month and et cetera, et cetera. So if you get the talent insights on what is your average time to hire for these particular type of roles, you can give them a realistic idea that, yes, you open these vacancies today in November, then based on the uh, based on the skill that you're looking for, a seniority that you're looking for, on an average, when will you actually get that bum on the seat, right? So you can peg the budget in the right month and not just peg it in a particular month and keep on either showing savings or overhiring. So either, either way. So that's one. So that's realistic carving out of, uh, of the budget. Second, you can drive things from the beginning. For example, you can actually do some simulation on location strategies. Uh, we as an organization hire across locations. So we can definitely come in and say that, yeah, if you're looking in for, say, um, Java engineers or, say, Scala engineers, right, and we can give you a data and insight saying these are the countries uh, basing on the salaries that we've usually seen being asked in the market or even the market data of salary bands, et cetera. This is the usual cost uh, for a particular, say, mid-level engineer, mid-level Java engineer, this country, this country. If we have 50 that we hire, this is the simulated cost that you'll have. If we have, say, 20 simulated, if you spread this across different countries, this will be the cost. Vis-a-vis, if I pick up some of these roles and actually take it to our India center and hire them, what is the cost impact? There, then this helps them to plan and go back to the leaders saying, why don't you spread this across and hire some of the, these in India, hire some of these in Poland, and yada, yada, yada. Second, we can obviously tell them that you're looking for, say, a head of product design maybe in, in Poland, where you really don't find them. So that means I would need to probably invest in a very expensive agency. So your cost of hiring will go up. Rather than that, why don't you switch it to, uh, to a city like Berlin, where you have that talent and you, you don't push up your cost of hiring, etc. So that's an, another way of uh, looking at things. So in the end, this will actually reduce, uh, give them a realistic idea of what is the spend and reduce the overall cost so that they either spend on the staff or the hi- entire hiring process, etc. And of course, I mean, not want to talk about the pressure on the on the talent team, right? Because then uh, as a talent leader, you know where you need to grow your team and you don't run helter-skelter at the last moment, uh, partnering up with super expensive RPOs to end them, uh, embed them in. So that's that's another cost aspect there. So I'd love to get your thoughts on what trends do you see coming, whether that be in the talent space, the people space overall, specifically about DEIB. Um, yeah, what, what do you see developing? Yeah, I think a couple of things is that um, maybe, you know, at the cost of repeating, internal marketplaces will definitely uh, become a forefront. This is new probably for the startups and, and product companies, but it's definitely not new for companies which are holding strong today. Uh, which is one of my alma maters. I mean, really look up to how Accenture has handled internal mobility. The great example there. Uh, internal mobility for sure. The second would be better connection between talent acquisition and talent development because that is the real key to ensure that you don't have a huge cost of attrition. You can nurture your talent from within. The third would be around, uh, yes, and the focus still remains on having more uh, inclusion, more awareness on data, more representation within the organization, because it will, it is again, something that makes your company more successful than others. This is um, all researchers have shown. If you have the same kind of people sitting in the room and ideating about your product and features, then God save you. So this this third focus will definitely continue. People will be looking at, cost will be on top of everybody's mind for the next one year. So throwing people at the problem where the staff costs are high will not happen. 
So automation, yes, will definitely step in and take some. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to take jobs, but it's going to ensure that people need to upskill themselves to be able to use that automation for their jobs. And then next, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about what's what's next for you and, and OLX. Yeah, is there anything that you're you're particularly excited about that's coming up? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we are working very closely on the recent sustainability and purpose work. Uh, that is, and that's we we have a new tagline as well. So we want to uh, have some campaigns around that. So superbly excited! I'm really excited about the inherent product that we work with. So we are extending lives of. A lot of uh, products that, you know, because of the reusability, et cetera, the nature of uh, our job and trade itself. So I'm definitely excited about that. I'm I'm excited about tackling a world of uh, better stability and um, uh, in the in the world of talent as well. So excited about that, excited about the challenge that I'll be faced with. So when, when you talk about a hyper growth world, it's almost like, a, you know, it's almost a second nature. But coming to a stable world, it'll be interesting to um, reshape it and reshape my team, reshape the architecture accordingly, and and support my uh, support my team through this uncertainty because it's never normal will continue. So how do I strengthen them? How do I support them and take them along this journey? Will be very interesting for me for sure. Okay, last question for me, uh, and this is a question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and it always fascinates me the the answers that we we get to this. What is the best mistake you've ever made and why? Yeah, I think the best mistake I've ever made was, so when I when I moved to, uh, to Europe, there were times when I was, uh, if I can be super honest, uh, there were times that I was second guessing myself because I had given up uh, a job which was really, really fruitful uh, with, with Accenture and loved that company, loved my role. And I was, uh, I'd moved to Europe without anything. And the first couple of uh, Weeks and months, especially in Germany, uh, the you know the, the the responses from a lot of companies used to be just as simple as that as as a feeling dunk because of the fact that I didn't know the language. All my experience was negated because I didn't know the language. I think the biggest mistake was my was me second guessing myself because if I look back now, it has been the biggest opportunity in my life. Uh, if I wouldn't have taken that leap of faith then, then I would really. Uh, not seen the kind of opportunities that Europe could give me. And looking back now for the past nine years, it's been humongous. So second guessing myself and not having faith in myself was was probably the biggest mistake I'd done at that time. And I'm definitely not going to repeat that ever. I think that's a fantastic message to, to finish up on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Manjuri had so many great actionable tips to share about prioritizing the AI initiative during turbulent times. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Leaders set the tone for the entire organization. During turbulent times, leaders have an opportunity to step up and put their leadership skills to the test. As we've heard many times on this podcast before, a positive company culture begins from the top down. So it's important that leaders take a proactive approach, especially during periods of change. Use tech to your advantage. Manjuri mentioned a few different examples of interesting ways that OLX Group is using technology to boost DEI efforts. For example, augmented writing can help remove unconscious bias from the hiring process. Prepare for uncertainty. In Manjuri's words, this never normal world we live in today will likely continue into the foreseeable future. With this in mind, plan for the future with a flexible approach so you can pivot when necessary. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of New World of Work. If you're interested in what today's job seekers are looking for in an employer, be sure to check out our employee expectations report by visiting the link in the show notes or visiting this URL, bit.ly forward slash oyster report. I repeat, that's bit.ly forward slash oyster report. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.